Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. Hey everyone, it is me. We are here. Uh, we Joseph is here too. Say hi, Joseph. Hey, what's up? Boom, boom, boom. We're recording. Good morning, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. I am recording this on the computer now. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Boom. All right. It says it's recording. Boom. 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 I am apparently recording. The entire bottle of control. They're all exactly the same. Crypto art. And then what it really is, is an NFT. Wow. How do you want to slap the bag? So this is the next best thing. DeFi is going to be a bubble. It's provably scarce. With Mad Dog. Crypto, gold, and silver. Transparent substance. Take my money, start a war with it. Without further ado. Cheers to you, brother. Get shit done. Because the system has to collapse before that. Cheers, I feel much better now. Cheers. (laughs) Wow, that was heavy. Boom. Um, Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, Before we jump in, I'll just say really quickly, if you're joining us on the Twitter stream or YouTube stream or anywhere else, go to meet.blockchainboot.io so that uh, you can join the people in the chat that are sort of backstage and asking questions in the QA if you'd like to get a question in for uh, Representative Emmer and, um, you know, and Joe or me. Uh, but, but come and join us. I see some of you are uh, joining us from LinkedIn. Hop in there, meet.blockchainboost.io. Um, and, uh, and, and have a drink with us. When this is over, you'll be able to turn on your camera and hang out with the crew as well. Um, welcome back. I'm, I'm excited because this is uh, Tom Emmer, uh, Representative Emmer's second time on Blockchain Booze. Of course, Joe is my regular wingman here. First time for me, first time. Point. So uh, very stoked to have you back. Welcome back, Tom. Welcome back, Joe. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Alan. Uh, great to see you again. And Joe, great to be with you. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. End of the year. Merry End Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Whatever holiday you're celebrating or not celebrating, I hope you're having a great time with your family right now at the end of the year. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're all happy to be here. This is um, Blockchain Booze number 92. So we've done 92 weeks straight. So basically, right when quarantine started, we thought, Hey, at the end of the day, since we're not going to work right now, let's have a beer with our friends and kind of have that moment of the water cooler talk, whatever kind of thing was going on at that moment. And that's what this has evolved into. But 92 weeks straight. Um, uh, One quick thing I'll throw out there that beginning uh, middle of January, I'll be in Miami for BTC Miami. Um, I'll be speaking there, but we'll try to do a blockchain booze meetup or live event there. It'll be the first blockchain booze live. If it happens, I think it will. um, And it'll be great. Um, So please join us, uh, friends in the community. So, so many people uh, saying hi in the chats, but Tom, um, 
you know, I'd love to to start with you, see how things are going. How how does it look from from your perspective? I know last time we talked a lot about you know um, you being one of the few uh, uh, of our friends in in Congress who who knows what's going on uh, uh, when it comes to blockchain and crypto. But has any of that changed in the in the last few weeks? How do, how does everything feel uh, over there? No, I mean it's it's. Uh... Again, it's great to be with you again, Alan. And I, 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 uh, I think from August on, uh, things have changed uh, rather quickly in Congress. Uh, you know, and that was uh, when this uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill was being drafted. And you'll remember that uh, yeah. Bob Portman had an amendment, uh, in my opinion, misguided amendment, uh, that I believe his office was lobbied by uh, Janet Yellen at the Treasury for. Uh, they ultimately put it in the bill. Uh, it, it's not a workable uh, uh, tax provision uh, in the infrastructure bill, but it became law. Uh, it will not go into effect till 2023, so we have time to fix it. But I, I, I put that context back out there, Alan, because you'll remember that as soon as that became an issue, the industry and uh, enthusiasts in the crypto space uh, really got involved. Uh, and you educated yeah. a lot of uh, uh, members of the U.S. Senate overnight. Uh, it's really helped uh, uh, increase awareness. I mean, now you got Ted Cruz out there uh, tweeting uh, announcements. Uh, you didn't have that three, four months ago. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's just one of several. So the good news is uh, the people in Congress have awakened to uh, uh, crypto. They've, they've awakened to uh you know, we're going to we're moving into this digital economy and it's real uh, and we're not going to go back. Yeah. Uh, we're going to yeah. go forward. So I think it's it's good, but we still have challenges. Yeah, I think I think, you know, stepping aside from the politics of, of everything right and the technology and everything. I say this. I've said this in the past about different things, but but right now I feel like this more than ever. You can't unring this bell, right? And, and it's global, not just in the United States, but globally. And the, you know, the, hopefully our uh, representatives can, can sort of uh, uh, regulate it in a way that, that assists us and helps us versus hinders our ability to innovate in this country. Well, it's, that's, you can't, uh, you can be hopeful, but don't just uh, hope for it, get involved. I mean, make sure that you're talking to these representatives. Make sure you, you're letting them know we got an election coming next fall. Uh, yeah. People who are anti-crypto, people who are anti-entrepreneurial uh, uh, activity in this space, uh, they should understand that the industry, the people uh, that make up this industry, are not going to sit by quietly and allow them to continue to build roadblocks. Instead, they want people who are going to uh, embrace this as the future and regulation uh, is not all bad, but uh, this has to be handled a lot like the Internet was uh, a couple decades ago. Government needs a light touch. A guideline would be much better than hard and fast rules and allow the uh, allow the space to take off. You know, to your main point, though, Alan, uh, it's you're not going to unring this bell. It's not going away. The question is, is the United States going to be the center? Uh, thanks to uh, China's uh, approach where they're shutting it down. 
Uh, yeah. They want to control it with their digital yuan. Uh, I think we have great opportunities in this country. And we yeah. need politicians that are policymakers who understand uh, that government can be a good thing if it, if it just has a light touch approach. I think that the the issue I've seen for so many years, so I was... For for those of in the in the crew that didn't that are watching that don't know this or don't know my sort of evolution into crypto, I was one of the sort of I, I don't like using this word, but for for lack of a better word, I was one of the pioneers in the crowdfunding space, and we were building these crowdfunding platforms before the word crowdfunding existed. And in that world, when I started as a young techie working at MySpace building crowdfunding platforms, I didn't know that what I wanted to do was illegal. I didn't know that there were such things as public solicitation. I was just, let's build technology to help people raise money for their small businesses. And I thought it was so un-American and absurd that they would stop us from doing that, especially considering that the number one job creator in our country is startups and small businesses. And we need more jobs in our country. This I, I did that in 2008. So just think about the world in 2008, 2009. And it was like, it was so absurd to me. Regulation has gotten much better and is a lot more clear in crowdfunding, but it's still not quite there yet when it comes to the crypto side of things. But it can get better, right? And there can be rules that are, you know. But, but go back to your beginning because you just uh, basically made the case for what needs to happen next in the crypto space. You ran into a problem uh, and the legislative fix was something called the Jobs Act. Yeah which corrected those things. And, uh, you know, if if people like you hadn't been willing to find these solutions, uh, you wouldn't I will say to, I'm going to give friends like our our venture partner in Draper Gorin Home, um, Rodney Sampson. He was fighting the good fight and doing the right thing. I will tell you guys that, honestly, I was very cynical and I didn't believe it was going to happen, even though my friends were telling me we're talking to representatives. It's going to happen. We're talking to uh, Patrick McHenry at the time, some others. And they were instrumental in making it happen. I didn't believe it was going to happen. The day I conceded and said, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen was when it was rebranded to the Jobs Act, the Jumpstart yeah. Our Business Startups Act. I said, oh, what politician can vote against jobs? Uh, which Amen. was my, probably a stupid <laughs> response, but it was true. It's what ended up happening, right? That's exactly right. And that's what needs to happen next in this space. Again, I don't think hard and fast rules. Back then, the JOBS Act had some very specific things that it was opening up opportunities for solutions that uh, previously were, uh, like you said, not legal, uh, which was foolish. But uh, now we really have to look at how we create uh, a, a, a guideline where you don't have uh, all these different windows. Uh, you, you should have one uh, regulator, uh, not everyone regulating, uh, every uh, office uh, in Washington regulating this space. And there are just some things that we can do legislatively and we need to do. It probably won't happen in the next 12 months. Some of it could, but this is going back to your first question, you know, how, how far have we come in just the last uh, few weeks, couple months? Well, I think uh, we've raised the awareness. Now we got to be talking about specific solutions, legislative solutions. Yeah. And then uh, I would uh, venture that the next Congress, uh, which will be a different Congress, uh, we should have an opportunity to do some really good things. If we you know, Biden administration yeah. on board. From, from my perspective, as you know, my day job is to invest in, in blockchain startups. And I meet Americans every day who are not in this country. I talk to them. They might have a Midwestern accent or sound like they're from Texas. And then they tell me they're in Singapore or they're in Switzerland because of the regulation. 
I think from my perspective, what most people just want to see, at least in the short term, is uh, um, sort of a, fa not maybe if not favorable isn't the right word, but an optimistic uh, timeline or, or just movement, right? Things moving in the right direction. Because right now, I think a lot of Americans who are starting companies are just scared to do what would be the best, most innovative thing for their company because maybe they're scared we can't create a token. What if it's a security? What if it's not a security? I don't think it's a security, but there isn't that like, you know, movement in the direction of going, well, if I fudge on something, I'm not going to get in trouble. People don't know that yet. They still think yeah. if they screw <laughs> something up, it's the hammer is coming down. So and if they know that there's some favorable yeah yeah and it's like as an entrepreneur in this country and yes yeah, someone was born here and someone that wants to be here you know they're it, it's not so much like you're there's people that are scared versus people can't be as competitive right mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur that's starting maybe somewhere else right maybe starting in singapore or starting in portugal or starting somewhere else it's just there's a competitive advantage to being there now or the competitive advantage used to be here and so i would say that that's what it is more than anything is, Hey, you want to build something and be as competitive as possible because especially at those early stages of a company, everything is just like touch and go the entire time. And so it's yeah. like, Hey, you want everything on your side. Cause sometimes it's, it's hard work, but it's also a little bit of luck. It's a bunch of things thrown in. And when you're handicapped a little bit, um, you know, to not be able to move as fast as you want to move, you yeah. are now thinking about a lot of different things. It's more expensive. Right. And there's a lot of things that you want to do. It's like, hey, I, you know, I still want the fire department, please go to my house. Something happens. Right. Like everyone here is paying. Everyone's paying taxes, but you, it's the competitive advantage that you're you're now on the downside of versus, you know, if I'm you know, I'm a little older now, but if I'm 25 and I'm starting a business in the crypto space, it's like, hey, like you can work anywhere. You can hire people anywhere. Like that's why a big part of it. Go somewhere else. And so it's like, I think for like I like what Tom said of like, hey, we have to start doing something and we have to start kind of organizing as an industry um, and say like, hey, here's what we think the rules are that are that make the most sense based on today. If one of us steps outside of that rule, hey, go ahead, guys, talk like talk to them. But hey, if someone's inside of this box, like you're going to have to take us all on this way. So, Joe, you go to a, a much bigger problem that we're seeing with this administration. Quite frankly, we saw it with the last administration, too. Uh, this is not a uh, Republican good, Democrat bad thing. This is just bad uh, uh, bureaucrats that are getting in the yeah. way. Uh, one of my my least favorite is Gary Gensler over at the SEC. That uh, my mother would have said he's so smart, he's stupid. Uh, but he he knows. Uh, actually, she used that line on me, which is funny. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I was going to say. Like, I'm I I my mom is starting to like my mom at least shows me the Bitcoin price sometimes. She wears her total T-shirt quite often, which is pretty <laughs> nice. cool. Um, but she doesn't yet know who Gary Gensler is. So um, no, no. But look, think about it. He he keeps saying things and doing things that are very harmful towards the industry because, Joe, you're talking about entrepreneurs that just want to know what the rules of the road are. They just want to know uh, when they're making decisions that are very uh, uh, lucrative uh, but risky decisions. I mean, you know, to to he or she who uh, uh, takes the most risk I can be, get the, the greatest reward, but you need to be able to measure that risk. You need to be able to plan, uh, you know, what, what's the, uh, the pros, what, what are the cons? Uh, these guys are giving so many mixed messages, uh, which appear to be related to a, a drive or a need for power, 
right? The uh, SEC, I'll give you an example, uh, one that drives me nuts with Gary Gensler, uh, and you guys might have seen me refer to it uh, at the hearing or you've heard him. He has changed the uh, term stable coins to stable value coins when he testified before the Senate Banking Committee and the uh, House uh, Financial Services Committee. Why? Because his uh, bureaucracy, the SEC, has jurisdiction over something called stable value funds. Okay. Uh. So they're called stable coins, Gary. We're not that dumb. We, we know when you change the term to stable value coin, you either don't know what you're talking about or uh, it's very insidious what you're doing because you're trying to expand your authority, the SEC's authority, uh, over something that uh, is totally unrelated to stable value funds. Uh, it's it's that type of thing. It's uh, the, the stonewalling that he does with industries. You guys know this. You have uh, uh, colleagues that are out there trying to make things happen. You've got uh, Gary Gensler telling exchanges, for instance, to come in and talk to the SEC. Coinbase and other exchanges have tried to do it. Then they get the uh, the door slammed in their face with threats, investigations, uh, or enforcement actions. I mean, it's it's crazy what they're doing. But to Joe's point, uh, it, you got to have an understanding of what the rules are because people want to invest. People want to create opportunities in this country. But if it's not clear what's going to happen, yeah. if you uh, take a certain step, uh, you're probably going to go to a place that's more friendly. Or even, uh, you know, in, uh, someone who's an investor like me, and I might be a little bit older with kids or something than the average entrepreneur starting their first company, maybe not, but I'm I'm staying here. I know I'm staying here, but I don't want our investment portfolio to be 90% companies in other countries. <laughs> I, I, I would like for it to be, uh, I would like to create those jobs in America. I, I want to do that here. You know, I, I do have a global outlook and I kind of grew up saying F the border and stuff like that as a punk rocker. And that's one of the reasons why I'm in crypto, right? But I still want my local, uh, um, you know, uh, communities to thrive. Um, I'd like for other communities around the world to thrive too, but I first and foremost live here right now, right? So um, so that's, that's it's just crazy to me uh, to, to think we're, we're actually pushing people for the first time. I'm, I'd say this, I probably said this last time we were on together, but this is the first industry ever where people actually sort of put their money where their mouth is. It's partly COVID, partly timing because of the digital age and everything where people actually are leaving the country to start their companies, to do their things. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's important that, you know, our bureaucracies, as you, as you were saying, kind of move a little faster than they have in the past this time around. I think it's, it's yeah. important. Well, you, you don't um, want the next Apple, the next Tesla, the next, you know, you don't want those companies that employ hundreds of thousands of people, you know, to be somewhere else. Right. You want them to be here and you want those jobs to come and you want those high paying jobs, those high tech jobs. You want the universities to be able to feed into them. And if it's now all international or much more than it is today, we're losing. Right. And it's like it's that's what I'm saying. It's competitive. It's not it's nothing more or less than that. And, and this has always been the most competitive place to come build a business. And it's just for the first time kind of feeling like it's maybe not. And that doesn't seem American to me. And it feels like you know, the, this kind of younger generation in crypto it's, and the reason this is hard is it's, it's not the internet. It's not the financial, like, you know, like businesses that have everything that happened in 2008, it's both 
kind of combined and twisted in a bunch of different ways. And so there are no rules that we know it's like, hey, this is a brand new thing. Maybe let's look at it as a brand new thing, right? Versus saying, hey, there's a box now that a bunch of different things are going to fit in. We're not internet. It's not financial. It's a, like it's commodities. It's all of these different things that just, you know, imagine if we didn't have currency and you could just trade stuff instantaneously. It's like, you know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think, you know, all in all, people well, are just. But it's a, it is uh, sort of an existential threat to an existing industry, and a lot of those folks in power were uh, had, you know, have their biggest donors are that industry or have worked in that industry and and are used to regulating that industry because they that's their industry. So in a way, yeah. we're, we're we they they could look at us and go, oh wow, amazing opportunities, or they could look at us and say, oh, they're taking my job. Um, which is also, uh, you know, scary to them. Well, you guys, you're so Alan, you're going to get my, uh, I'm going to reveal myself. I growing up, I wasn't like F the border, but mine was directed at government and more importantly, government bureaucrats who weren't living my life, who didn't understand how hard I worked to put food in the refrigerator, pay the mortgage and feed seven kids. Uh, they're, they're in some, my uh, ivory tower bureaucracy somewhere, you know, they, they're not living it. They're just telling me how to live yeah. it, right? Uh, the monetary policy in this country has driven what you guys are talking about right now. Uh, this idea, and, and you, it, I think it's myopic. Uh, forgive me for that, but I think it's a little myopic to just focus on the financial industry uh, that has their market share and they're worried about losing market share. I think it's much bigger than the financial industry. I think it's the monetary policy here in this country and around the world that somehow believes like these uh, MMT guys now, you know, that, uh, oh, we can just print and spend money as much as we want. And as long as we control the currency, you know, completely, uh, we'll be fine. Look, there are really smart young people out there who have been watching this thing fail now for years. Uh, and they're smarter than, uh, than these, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ivy League educated uh, financial geniuses give them credit for. I think GameStop was a great example. Right. A uh, little unrelated, but this is the little guy and gal on the street taking on the man. This, these are the people who say, you've been screwing with this for so long. Let me show you how we can impact the future. This is a, uh, a revolution of, uh, of uh, that something we've never seen before where the and it's the beauty of this country, because I don't think you'd see this anywhere else. I think uh, if it's going to happen the way it's happening, it's got to be here in the United States where we still value our independence. Uh, we, yes, we got a lot of people who want to be told what to do, who, you know, feel like they got to get in line and they got to wait their turn and all that. But the entrepreneurial spirit, the, uh, the cowboy, cowgirl, you know, uh, frontier spirit is alive and well in this country. And this group that uh, my generation doesn't quite understand yet. Right. I just have the good fortune of having seven of them, uh, 30 years old, uh, down to 20. And it's like uh, their life. I get to participate and see how different it was from the one my generation grew up in. And my God, how much different it is from the generation that came before me. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not understand it completely. But the reason that I've leaned in so hard is not just that I got a great staff in Washington, D.C. that's really clued in, but it's because I know that this is the future. And guess what? It's going to happen with or without us. And when I say us, those of us uh, that look like me uh, that are in government right now, 
if we don't create a uh, a playing field that will spark this uh, already uh, uh, burning uh, spirit, if we don't create that, it will go elsewhere. Uh, yeah. And these people are going to be success successful with or without us. Uh, it's going to happen. So why don't we get on board as legislators and understand this is a lot more than the financial industry. And we could do some things, right? We could talk about with the industry how we allow the rails, the existing rails, to be utilized by yeah. uh, this, this new revolutionary uh, thought and entrepreneurial spirit, while at the same time not letting government squish it down and try to take it over, right? Let it grow let the independence that made this country great uh, uh, thrive again. And it you'll see amazing things. That's why you're going to have to have a legislature at, at the uh, federal level that does its job in the next couple, three years. Or, Joe, I, I've met with some of these entrepreneurs already. Uh, one that left the biggest impression on me started a $1 billion plus uh, project in the British Virgin Isles, right? Because his company could not uh, properly assess what the reaction would be here in this country. So they couldn't take a chance. Did they want to start it here? Absolutely they did, but they had to make that choice. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen going forward. What, that, guys, they don't have any opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's happening. And, and that's the thing. It's like you say, or it's going to happen. Like it's happening, right? And we've got, you know, there's a lot of, like businesses internationally that won't do deals with companies even. It's not even like, hey, I'm starting something. It's like, someone's not even gonna do a deal with you because you're here. Um, and so it's- well, I've also had, yeah, I've, I've, I've been not allowed to invest in a couple deals that we were interested in investing in because we didn't have a proper setup uh, and corporation outside of the United States to invest because they blocked out US investors. Um, as part of a deal. And and that's happened a couple of times now. Um, I'm uh, talking about partnership deals. I'm not even talking yeah. about investment deals. I'm just saying people are saying like, hey, we just don't want to deal with, with anything over there in general. There's enough people over here, right? In the other, that's like wild. we're three, a couple of 300 million people. Everyone's like, hey, there's another couple billion people connected to the internet and that's all you need to participate, right? And so we're, we're missing out and people are always talking about these kind of crazy valuations that are going on in the crypto space. But it's different than it used to be. It's not Uber starting in San Francisco where there's this like seven by seven area, you know, where that's a small market. This, if you start something, you're instantaneously to billions of people. Like the total addressable market is much bigger than it used to be. That's, that's true. So guys, I want to jump into, we, we did, uh, um, Tom even touched on some of these things. Joe, you touched on some of these things. I want to lunar crush, uh, Go Lunar Crush. This is a, now a vintage the, you got the retro. You got the retro one. That's a retro logo now. Um, they, they've changed their logo. Joe, you are the, the founder of Lunar Crush and the CEO. But you guys put together an epic recap video of the last year. Um, and I wanted to uh, play that for the audience. Sure. And uh, we can comment on some of the last year and stuff. And then I know a lot of folks are already uh, asking questions in the QA. And I'll start grabbing questions from there. If you're uh, not already there, though, let me throw this back up again. Uh, go to meet.blockchainbooze.io. You can chat with everyone watching that's back there. You can throw questions in the Q&A, and I'll, um, we'll, we'll bring them up to Tom uh, and to Joe uh, after we watch this recap video. Let me. The video was bigger than StreamYard would allow, so I have to do it a different way. Um, so it should start in a second. <laughs> Oh, here it is. 
As this roller coaster year comes to an end, let's look back at what happened in the cryptoverse in 2021. The year starts off strong with Bitcoin hitting 30,000, an all time high. A few days later, another all time high. ETH breaks $1,000 for the first time since 2018. And of similar importance, Pornhub adds crypto to its payment options. Elon Musk becomes pro Bitcoin, and the markets respond. Miami decides it likes Bitcoin too. A bunch of Redditors outsmart some hedge fund managers and squeeze GameStop stocks. We're gonna fuck their whole system up. Crypto wants in on the memes too. And then Robinhood restricts crypto trading. Boo, you whore. The competition between layer ones intensifies. Tesla buys $1.5 billion of Bitcoin. And then Elon tweets that you can buy Teslas with Bitcoin. That's yeah. great, Elon. And then he says you cannot buy Tesla with Bitcoin. Stip stop, stip stop, stip stop. Nevertheless, Bitcoin persists and hits another all-time high of 50,000. And then another. And then another. Oh, yeah. And people cannot stop talking about it on Clubhouse. Square buys $170 million worth of Bitcoin. And then MicroStrategy buys $1 billion worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> and then some more, and then some more, and then some more. The NFT market is booming. Beeple partners with Christie's to auction his NFT for 69 million. Going to Disney World! The meme economy is also booming. Disaster Girl sells for 180 ETH, and Nyan Cat sells for 300 ETH, and Jack's first tweet ever sells for 1600 ETH. The Dallas Mavs announced that they will accept Dogecoin, but Mark Cuban keeps pronouncing it. Dogecoin. Bitcoin reaches another all-time high. Guys, we did it. And then Coinbase IPOs on the NASDAQ. And you can now buy and sell crypto on Venmo, Cash App, and PayPal. Elon calls himself the Doge Father. Goes on SNL and crashes Dogecoin. Fate loves irony. And Dogecoin-inspired meme coin Shiba Inu sends half their circulating supply to Vitalik. Vitalik burns most of it and donates the rest to charity. A16Z launches a $2.2 billion crypto fund. The city of Miami unveils its own cryptocurrency, Miami Coin. ETH upgrades with the EIP-1559. Visa, yes, that Visa, buys a CryptoPunk for $150,000. El Salvador declares that Bitcoin is legal tender and starts mining it with volcanoes. A hamster has been trading cryptocurrencies in a cage rigged to automatically buy and sell tokens since June, and it's currently outperforming the S&P 500. And the first Bitcoin ETF launches in the US. Facebook rebrands to Meta. I thought I was supposed to be the robot. And Bitcoin reaches a new all time high of 68,000. Tim Cook says that he owns cryptocurrency. <laughs> and New York City gets its own coin. Bitcoin is upgraded and Taproot is live. FTX announces a sponsorship deal with the MLB and NBA. And Crypto.com announces sponsorship deals with the NHL and UFC. Oh, and they renamed the Staples Center to Crypto.com. Jack quits Twitter and moves full-time into Square, and Square rebrands itself as Block. Nike buys a virtual shoe company that makes NFTs, and the Bitcoin hash rate approaches a full recovery from China's clampdown on mining. Based on our data, we're excited to announce that the coin of the year is Ethereum, and the most talked about coin of the year is Bitcoin. The most influential influencer of the year is CoinMarketCap. And the influencer with the most engagement is Elon Musk. Thanks for playing and see you next year. <coughs> I was muted. All right. So uh, lots, lots of, uh, of, of exciting things happened this last year, but what it screams of is sort of mainstream adoption. 
um, uh, more than anything else. I'm also really happy that Dogecoin wasn't the most talked about coin of the year, <laughs> and it was Bitcoin. That makes me uh, a little bit happy. Um, Joe, what what sort of things were the most you know extremely talked about uh, this year? You know, you guys have all the data. It'd be cool to know your guys' feelings. You guys put together the video. Like, what was the yeah, I mean, it's the main thing of that, like, same thing, just initial reaction the first time I saw them put all that stuff together was, like, the ship has sailed, like, completely. Like, mainstream adoption is here from Fortune 500 companies, huge brands, individuals. Like, you know, at this point on Twitter alone, I mean, it's, you know, crypto Twitter is its own, like, ecosphere, but it's also, like, probably a massive percentage of what's happening out there. I mean, we're getting, there's billions of engagements on cryptocurrency alone. Every single person is now an investor. And, you know, I think it goes back to a little bit of, of what was happening, you know, post COVID of the, everyone's an investor now and people are asking for the first time, you know, well, what happens when we print as much money as currently exists in the world? Right. And, and people were asking those questions, I think for the first time, um, and they can go find the answers in places like Reddit or places like Twitter. And, um, you know, I think that that is more indicative of why people are now interested and, and want to take control of their own destiny when it comes to crypto and they want to participate. Right. And they want to participate. I mean, when you think about these early investment rounds, right, and you've got a VC that maybe invests $300,000 into a Coinbase in the beginning, then they end up with $2.5 billion. Right. Well, what if everyone can just invest? $50 and they get a new house. How nice would that be across 50,000 people? And so I think crypto is, it's taking the power, you know, it's, it's bringing the power back to the creator and it's kind of taking the middleman out, which a lot of time it ends up being regulation and government. Right. And I think that's just the, the, the cool part and just everyone, I think seeing that. And we always say, it's like, and Tom, I'd love to hear kind of why this is, you know, an industry that you're gravitating towards a little bit. And it's like, you could probably go work on a million things in Washington. Why are you working on this? Why is this striking a chord with you? Because in crypto, we always say that there's something tying us all together in this space. It's like, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you're into, you know, what your family life was like, anything, but something's tying us together. So I'd love to hear a little bit about like what your background was in the space. Well, I told you about the family part of it, but uh, there's another piece and it's funny. I'm listening to you, Joe. And I remember exactly what prepared me uh, to get involved in this. And it was a radio show that I did uh, here in the Twin Cities uh, for a couple of years on the same channel that brought you Jesse Ventura. Uh, I didn't carry <laughs> that, that kind of weight, but uh, I did this show with a guy named Bob Davis, uh, who'd been in radio for 30 some years. And it was uh, he used to say it was like capturing lightning in a bottle. Because uh, our preparation, we did separately, and then we would literally go at each other on the show. And it was, uh, you know, local, uh, state, uh, national, uh, international, uh, and it would last three hours every morning. And it was, uh, it was there. And I'll set it up this way. So I served in the Minnesota State Legislature, and they assigned you to committees much like you get assigned uh, in Congress. Those committees are basically uh, silos, right? You get assigned to uh, uh, the law committee. You're going to deal with uh, uh, legal issues, justice issues, uh, policing, judges, etc. You uh, put in regulated industries. You become an expert on utilities, that sort of thing. Healthcare, but it's all in their silo, right? I meet this guy Bob, who is talking about how uh, we have evolved as a society. I mean, he's 
thinking way out of the box, uh, which we can talk about that outside of this. But it, it got me to yeah. thinking. You know, he talked about we start with an agrarian society where you're bringing all the produce into uh, the city and the cities are built on waterways so that you can transport it. Then we have the industrial revolution. Now you've got people moving into the big cities because you got to have centralized services. Well, we have now moved into the digital world, Joe. Uh, and I, I, I grasped crypto after reading a book six or seven years ago. But before I ever read that book, uh, Bob telling me that we're going to have a day where it's going to be completely decentralized. Uh, you don't have to live in a, uh, a dense, densely populated urban area to get the services that you need. You're going to be able to live in rural America. You're going to be able to live on the farm place. You're going to have a 3D printer. You're going to have uh, health care that's going to be delivered uh, over uh, the Internet. Uh, you're going to have uh, the 3D printer to, uh, for instance, build a, a, a hip that you're going to have replaced with robotics. I mean, just think about where we're headed in this society. And then this uh, uh, the uh, crypto stuff came along. And I'm going to tell you, it goes back to what I told uh, Alan uh, it, it, right before he played the tape. Uh, no, I wasn't saying F the, uh, the border, but I was saying this government thing. I don't need – Americans are smart. Uh, Joe, they, we do not need our government serving as our financial advisor. Uh, we can do that. And I talked about uh, our monetary policy, both here in this country and around the globe, has been completely uh, off the mark, I think, for 40 years now. And I, I think uh, this is an opportunity to correct that issue. Uh, but as we move forward now, the biggest thing that we have to be concerned with as we adapt to this digital economy, it's important that we maintain privacy protections. Uh, and I think decentralized technology can solve that problem. So that's why that's why I, I just see the opportunities uh, are boundless. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so there's so much. And, and again, going back, uh, it's it's such a sort of bipartisan issue. And when you say, you know, the government shouldn't be your your financial advisors. I think some people who listen are kind of just like, oh yeah, it's it's a bit of exaggeration, but it's not, right? We have the head of the financial services, or not the head of the, the investor protections committee, is saying things about crypto that's not true, right? And saying things that are like very very anti-crypto and. And, and, and that guy actually is in the district next door to me and he's given my parents awards and things like that. And I'm th thinking about it. I remember the first time there was an article in the paper where I kind of called him out and child, like said, let's do a public debate a few years ago when he first started talking about it. I remember getting a call from my mom. He's, he's such a nice man. He gave me an award when I was retiring. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a, it, it's, and the thing that's crazy, it's, it's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's not, uh, um, you know, the hardcore libertarian Bitcoiners versus uh, uh, socialists, right? It's literally across the aisle, there's just misinformation. And across the aisle, if they, I think that every single one of those groups could point at crypto or some benefit of crypto and think that it will further their actual cause, right? So I don't think that, you know, any cause is actually squashed by crypto. It actually can embolden anyone. And that's the where the purists amongst us, like the people who understand it, just like, you know, then you recognize hypocrisy and things like that. And then we can get into 
to the bureaucracies and all those things, right? Um, but it's it's just wild, you know, these, these feelings that come come across. Uh, I'm gonna tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell the, the people listening, uh, jump into the, the Q&A if you're uh, there. I'm going to start looking through it. Um, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a pretty good one. It gets specific at the end. But, um, you know, Anne, uh, one of our regulars, hey, Anne, is asking, uh, hi, Tom, what are you doing to develop bipartisan uh, support and relationships? It, it goes along with what I just said. But then he said, uh, she asked more specifically, will Ed Markey co-sponsor Cynthia Loomis's Bitcoin bill? I guess those are two separate things, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a great it's a great question. I, I can tell you what I'm doing, but before, two things come to mind first. Uh, and they, they are responsive to the question. First, uh, Brad Sherman, uh, who I believe we were uh, uh, talking about a second yeah. ago, uh, God bless him. But I, I think uh, we as adults... Uh, you know, you can be very uh, set in your viewpoint, but you've always got to be willing to learn and to grow. Uh, and the thing that troubles me about uh, Brad's position is it hasn't changed in the last six years. Uh, he, it yeah. doesn't matter uh, all the additional information that we are providing. Uh, it just... Uh, it. I'll, I'll double down on that just really quick because some of the things he says about, you know, being crypto being used for criminal activities. I've had law enforcement agents on, uh, if not this show, on uh, on LA Blockchain Summit, the biggest blockchain conference in the world. We host it every year. It's been virtual the last two years. We've had agents of actual law enforcement agents from multiple groups on the record publicly stating they would rather 100% of the time criminals be transacting in crypto than in US dollars because it's easier to catch them. Right. But- Brad Sherman can say we shouldn't enable, you know, crypto is bad. It enables, you know, terrorist activity and all these things that law enforcement agents are saying is the opposite. You know, it's it's like maddening to watch. Well, I, I mean, think about it. The colonial pipeline uh, that was such a big story several months back uh, that was shut down and held for ransom. You you realize they recovered all the ransom. Uh, you're right. The authorities would much rather have it done that way. But Brad just doesn't, uh, he refuses uh, to uh, expand and evolve. Uh, and that that's troubling uh, because especially as a policymaker, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not here to criticize anybody for voting uh, and being the voice of their, uh, of their constituents. But I don't think you do anyone service. Uh, I, I'm not there representing uh, just Republicans. Uh, I'm, I'm there representing every Minnesotan that is in the district that I represent and, and representing my state and beyond, right? Uh, which gets to the, the bigger question, what are we doing? I don't like the term bipartisan, all right? And I, I understand everybody uses that. Uh, I wish we wouldn't use it in this space, and I'll tell you why. Bipartisan suggests that, uh, sorry, my computer keeps trying to turn off on me. Uh, bipartisan suggests that uh, there's already two different camps, I would rather we talk about uh, uh, digital assets as a nonpartisan issue, right? I, I don't need uh, when Ted Cruz uh, retweets uh, something that's positive uh, in the industry. I don't need a Rashida Tlaib automatically uh, picking a side 
because it's looked as a bipartisan issue. I'd rather have it be nonpartisan. It's, because- it's really it's really hard in this in political environment, right? Because so many uh, on both sides of the aisle have taken such hard stances of sort of being anti anything the other side of the aisle says, right? Which is which is absolutely yeah. crazy when you talk yeah. about this because this this is totally American. This whole area is it doesn't matter what your political uh, uh, viewpoint is. This is about uh, every single American and people around the world having opportunities uh, that right now, uh, because we have hollowed out the middle class with our monetary policy, I would argue, since the early 70s, you could absolutely uh, help everyone on that uh, economic ladder. And that's not a Republican or Democrat thing. Uh, that's just an American thing that we should be looking at. And, and to the uh, question, uh, the blockchain caucus. Uh, that's what I'm yeah. doing. Uh, the Blockchain Caucus was started, uh, uh, oh, seven, eight years ago by uh, three members in Congress. I uh, talk about uh, the odd couple, uh, Jared Pullis, who's the current governor of Colorado, and Mick Mulvaney, uh, of all people, were, were two of the original founders of the Blockchain Caucus. Today, uh, the co-chairs are myself and Darren Soto, a Democrat from Florida, uh, and we have taken what used to be just a handful of members, uh, because as I said before August, uh, we were already doing this in the House months ago. Uh, it was growing, but now the awareness, uh, we, we're adding people all the time. Uh, we're over 40 members in the Blockchain Caucus, and it's about bringing them in uh, and to the person with a question and then bringing their staff in, because these young people that actually are uh, are drafting policies for the member that they work for, they are every bit as important as the member themselves. So uh, you just got to slowly, and it, it's uh, literally one person at a time, bring them into the blockchain caucus, educate them, send them out to educate others, uh, and make it clear, this is not a partisan issue. This is a nonpartisan issue. I, I, I love that. J- Joe, I just want to throw something out there. Uh, it would be really cool if with Lunar Crush's data, you could, you know, flag all, I know you you ingest all crypto related content. Um, maybe there's a way to flag the, the sort of influencers because you flag all Twitter accounts and things like that, flag ones that are uh, currently in office and somehow get like sentiment analysis just on those, you know, few hundred accounts and what they've said and what they talk about. It would just be really, really, uh, really interesting. I wanted to ask, I was going to throw something out as well um, when I was watching the video and forgot to say till now. Um, NFTs have have become such a big thing uh, the the last year or year and a half because, you know, since we've gone into crypto and big part of mainstream adoption. Tom, do you do you own any NFTs yet? And if no, you don't, but I have family, I have family members who boring do. stones or getting you some, some <laughs> NFTs. I, listen, everybody around me does. I'm, I'm the uh, the poor member of Congress that's just trying to make sure they all succeed. <laughs> I, from my standpoint, decentralized finance offers immense opportunities for Americans that for some, the traditional financial system never could. Peer-to-peer lending, borrowing, buying, and selling gives Americans more autonomy over their own financial future. And uh, it's a long process to complete decentralization. But I think uh, NFTs, as an example, uh, or if we talk about fully decentralizing DeFi, uh, that should be a priority. Uh, NFTs, though, uh, they they actually offer people the ability to own on the Internet 
own their digital identity, their digital lives and web in, in ways that uh, web two never offered. Uh, it, it's and pretty it's so exciting. Much fun. You, if you, yeah. I don't know if you collected baseball cards when you were young or ever got into comic books or something like that, but like, to me, it, it, it satisfies that, that same feeling that I got when I was a kid doing those things. And now I'm doing it again and having a ton of fun and I'm bringing my kids into the equation. Um, we're, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm going to, uh, I'll follow up with you. We're going to get you uh, like a boring stone, a fame lady squad. Absolutely. By, by the way, Alan, my wife and I were talking about this over Christmas because a couple of our boys uh, were into that Pokemon uh, craze. Yeah. <laughs> That that should be the NFT uh, equivalent. There are there is a lot of sort of equivalencies, and I'll tell you that that my kids who are, who are younger than yours, to them, a Pokemon card is awesome. It's really cool. But the digital version is even more fun, and they'll live in Roblox and those things. And the digital versions of things are more real to them than the those paper Pokemon cards or comic right. books or baseball cards to us. Yeah. Well, if you if you think about what NFTs are. are doing it's this kind of like rights and access but also like voting right and it's like when we talk about the like the younger generation and them having access to crypto now i mean they're learning economics and finance at a, at a much younger age i mean we didn't learn how to use credit cards or anything when you're younger you're just like hey here's this thing and you're like wait is it the money is the money there is it not there when i swipe it where is it it's on this other thing and you don't know well, anything that's going on well, think about the difference too. When I was 16 years old, I had to lie. I had I knew a friend of a family that worked at a Wells Fargo. I had to lie to get a checking account to put my paycheck from delivering auto parts so I could get one of those original back in the day debit cards that could connect like an original ATM card, right? Yeah. And you Is could there a statute of limitations, Alan? What was that? It has the statute of limitations run on that lie. I hope not. I hope so. I didn't say the guy's name. I was thinking I totally the same thing. That story up. What are you talking about? <laughs> Total um, hypothetical. I right. <laughs> but, but if you if you boil it down to with NFTs, it's like okay, I'm also like a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, right? They're also learning kind of. These are like reconstituting like rules and voting and like every one of these things is a, it has its own constitution, if you will. I mean, what this younger generation is learning and being a part of is incredible compared to you know maybe some of the traditional systems that are out there and it's like man we're like are they going to need to go to college what does college look like in 20 years like it's there's a lot that is going to have to be looked at but joe you're going so you're going to the next step of why i'm so interested in this area uh if if uh, we had met before you would have heard me talk to uh, different groups about how the, the current generation thinks so much, processes information so much differently than my generation does, right? I mean, we literally are thinking in two dimension. We're thinking of, uh, you know, the way the computer was described to us oh so many years ago. It's a word processor, right? Uh, you take a piece of paper, uh, you put it on the, uh, on the electronic, uh, uh, you know, file, and then you build it, but you see it as a paper file. When you were, you know, Alan was talking about how his kids think the crypto ver or the uh, the digital version of a Pokemon is more real to them than the uh, the original paper version. It's because they think and process in 3D and beyond. And it's why everything is going to be disrupted. It's not just the financial industry. It is education and many things way beyond it. Yeah. One 1,000%. I'm going to jump into the questions, but one uh, addition to that is that's funny is that 
when you talked about peer-to-peer lending and the be- beginnings of that happened in 2008, 2009, when we started the, the crowdfunding uh, um, sort of online investment platforms and things like that. What's really interesting is at the time, if you would have told me that there's going to be this thing in the future called digital securities, which is what the regulated people are calling security tokens and things like that. And basically allowing crypto technology to be used by the banks and the, the regulated entities and things like that. It's really cool innovation for, for them. And there'll be some interesting things that happen. But what's funny is that back then I started using DocuSign and I raised a million dollars for my startup. And every single I asked my lawyers and they said I was allowed to e-sign the documents for the thing. And I thought that was pretty cool. And to me, that was a digital security. Like, oh, wow, I don't have to print out the piece of paper. But now the definition has changed as well, which is fun because now we want the actual issuance and the distributions and the compliance and everything to be digital. And and for which regulators should be really, really happy about um, when it comes to, um, you know, it, it will it actually keep things uh, um, in, in check and things like that, at least theoretically, right? It I should have a, be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I have a really specific question from David Rankin. David Rankin, by the way, is uh, has logged the most hours at, at Blockchain Booze of any one of our listeners. So shout Congrats, out to David. David. End of year uh, recap. <laughs> when we get to when we get to episode 100, he's going to win like a trophy or something. I'm going to like send him like that. <laughs> Uh, as long as you keep keep uh, on that podium. Um, but David asks, this is really specific, so let us know if this falls into somebody else's jurisdiction. But he says, how does government intend to hold consumers liable for, oh, geez, uh, tax form 6050I and form 8300 and 1099B going, when participating in DeFi no, liquidity? <laughs> but that is, that is the issue, right? Uh, yeah. And we don't know that yet. I mean, there was a letter uh, written by uh, several senators to uh, Janet Yellen uh, in what the last uh, week, two or three. I can't remember now. It all runs together, uh, asking for a definition of broker, which uh, I, I was telling uh, for purposes of this, right? Uh, figuring out how you figure uh, tax liability or plan for tax liability, how you're going to uh, not only uh, uh, apply the regulation, but then enforce it. And uh, I was saying to uh, Lizzie, who works with me, uh, some of you uh, know Lizzie, she does a fantastic job. But I said, here's the problem. These guys wrote the law. Why are they writing to Janet Yellen and asking her to uh, tell them what their law means uh, and how it applies? So uh, it's a great question, David. I, I think you're going to have to be listening uh, to uh, probably uh, – uh, the episode 100 or beyond, because uh, we're going to need more information in the coming weeks as to how that's actually going to be handled. It's one of the reasons that that uh, amendment never should have been passed uh, as part of the uh, uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill in the first place. Uh, it reminds, it was me, of a, it reminds me of a startup raising money for uh, for something they don't know how yet they're going to execute, right? Like <laughs> it's like here's the here's the deck on how we plan to execute. It's just blank, right? It's like we just we want to do this thing, you know? Uh, it's going to be awesome. We don't know how actually, we're going to do it yet. Actually, it takes us back to an infamous uh, uh, quote by a very well known politician uh, more than a decade ago, uh, who said. We have to pass it to find out what's in it. So that's not the way that you should be legislating. 
It doesn't, doesn't seem like it. So we're coming to the end of time. I feel like I'm talking a little too much and asking too many questions. Joe, is there anything I'm missing with uh, with Tom before we either jump into one last question? Or do you got something uh, no, specific you want to hit? I think it was it's great. I mean, my I got one that's kind of like out of left field a little bit with like term limits and a couple other things. It's like you talk about people that might not understand technology as much, or like you said, like, Hey, you got to pivot in your mind a lot and be the type of person that is okay with being wrong, you know, and, and wanting to learn. Um, it's like, how do you kind of like, it's almost like, Hey, do you have, um, willpower at the, at the grocery store or at home? Right? Like, what if we have it at the grocery store where it's like, Hey, maybe the president, we only have two a decade and it's five years each. Right. Or like, it's like, but the, the folks that are having to kind of create some of these rules are the people that are going to not be the benefactor of them. And, you know, people always say, I'll oh, go write your congressman, right? When they kind of almost want to say something, it's like, how, how do we create that change? And like, how do we say, Hey, like maybe it needs to be someone, you know, age 40 to 70 that like can only be there. Or maybe it's a smaller range, like 50 to 60. It's like, Hey, you're at this specific range. And like, you can be president one time and for five years or something. It's like, is something like that even remotely out there or possible? And it's like, does that, does that actually help us? Or is it, Hey, you know, you want folks that, that kind of understand the system that can kind of be there, but have the ability to kind of be, be okay with being wrong and adapt and change. Well, actually the beauty of our system Joe, is that uh, anybody and everybody uh, who uh, qualifies should be willing to step up and serve. Uh, you should not have uh, people who are in these jobs for 30 and 40 years. Uh, that's about to change dramatically. I think you're going to see a huge changing of the guard uh, in the House uh, in the next few months. You already see a, a, a healthy number announcing they're not running for re-election. But let me, let me put it in context uh, and then hit the term limit thing quick and another idea that uh, will never happen, but uh, it'll give you an idea what I think about. First off, uh, Donald Trump was a reaction uh, to eight years of Barack Obama. And I would argue that Barack Obama and Donald Trump are actually a reaction to 20 years of Congress not doing its job. And what does that mean? We have not passed a budget on time since 1998, I believe. Somebody can uh, uh, check that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's 1998. What does that mean? You got to pass 12 uh, appropriations bills out of the House and through the Senate and have them get signed across the president's desk on or before September 30th every year. You hear this in the news. Oh, we did a continuing resolution. Well, that's just kicking the can down the road. And the longer we have done that, we, the legislative branch, contrary to what we were all taught when we were kids, three co-equal branches of government, I think is the first fraud that was committed upon all of us. We don't have three co-equal branches. The legislative branch, if they exercise their constitutional function, is the most powerful branch of government. The executive branch is next because all the executive branch can actually do or should be able to do is to stop things that the, uh, by veto, things that the yeah. legislative branch are doing. And then the weakest branch should be the judicial branch, which is simply supposed to apply the law that it is given, uh, duly passed law from the legislative branch uh, and across the president's desk uh, to uh, the facts that are presented. Uh, we got off track years ago. When we stopped passing budgets on time, 
we literally started to create the imperial presidency. So it doesn't matter if it's Barack Obama, Donald Trump, now it's uh, Joe Biden. They literally sign executive orders that act like law. I mean, I've been on a plane way too much and I got to hear the mask mandate is a law. No, it's not. It is not a law. It's an executive order signed by the president that we're going to honor as a law, but that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, that's the frustration, Joe, that I think drives the feeling that you're having. People are most upset with Congress and they don't even know it. You talk about term limits. I think what I'm seeing across this country is people are waking up. Uh, people know that their freedom belongs to them. And in order for you to actually exercise that freedom, you need to participate in the process. And is it a perfect process? No. Should it be a mess and ugly? Yes, it should. I, I don't want to be in a country where everybody is going to do the exact same thing. And by the way, if you step out of line, uh, you got a strong central authority that's going to make sure that there are consequences for you. I want people to be able to create and live their lives the way they think their lives should be lived, not the way the government or some politician thinks they should be lived. And I'll tell you, it'll never happen. Uh, by the way, uh, term limits, I was a huge advocate for it when I served in a state legislature. 12 years I thought was plenty. Uh, I've changed my mind, Joe. I would be for term limits as long as everyone in government, the elected officials and the employed uh, officials, bureaucrats, everybody has to leave after a certain number of years because the problem you have with term limiting your elected officials is then the employed bureaucrats never leave. Yeah. And if they don't mm -hmm. want to do something, they just drag their feet and outlast the elected representative until you get the next one in. The greatest reform we possibly could have had, which will never happen, is to put every state capital and our nation's capital on wheels and move them every four to six years so that they cannot uh, sink their roots, uh, you know, with these powerful uh, special interests uh, and create these uh, government cities. I, I, But that's... That's just not going to happen. So guess what? Between you and me, uh, we got to start exercising the uh, art of constitutional governance again. Uh, that's the only way we're going to fix this thing. And, and the legislative branch of government has to start taking the lead. Uh, hopefully that's going to happen over the next couple of years when you see a major change, I think, on both the Republican and the Democrat side. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think that was a very powerful, uh, powerful place to 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 wrap things up on. But I will say that uh, my my some of my friends in the chat and and folks, uh, you know, I I was uh, I was an eighteen year old, uh, uh, you know, the year of nine eleven, my first year of college, and half half my friends went one direction, the other half went the other direction. But where we all met afterwards is is. Uh, you know, our love for this country and our hate of the, you know, hypocrisy that, that comes out of things like that. And I think that um, everyone should be doing whatever they can to, to fight for what's right. Um, and, and so, you know, I, uh, I appreciate you, Tom, for, for being here and for, uh, for educating us and giving us um, your uh, perspective on everything. I know that our audience has a lot of questions. So, you know, we'll, we'll probably uh, ask you to come back again uh, in, in the new year and good luck on everything you're working on. I, we really appreciate you. Um, one quick uh, thing, Tom, uh, Joe, give us a quick, uh, where's the best place to follow you and keep up with what you're, uh, what you're working on. Go ahead, Tom. 
<laughs> just you can uh, it's we've got the Twitter account, we got the Facebook account. We've got all of it. And uh, Joe's uh, Joe's company is busy accumulating everything that we're doing. <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I'd give a pitch not only to all of our social media stuff, but uh, I'll give a pitch to Joe's because he'll put it all together. So you can get it from him or you can get it directly from us. <laughs> yeah, I can go find Tom, Tom's account on Lunar Crush. Um, yeah, just <laughs> at Lunar Crush, at, at Joe Vez. Uh, follow me up. Awesome. And I'll just throw out one last time. Anybody who wants to join us uh, backstage after we turn off the stream, you'll be able to turn on your camera, turn on your microphone, chat with uh, those of us who hang at the tables and uh, follow me uh, at Alon Gorin or go to drapergorinhome.com because in the new year, we'll be uh, traveling again, going to lots of conferences, hosting uh, some of these live even. Um, and so, uh, Come uh, give us a hug in real life and uh, stay safe, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you all.